So today is Palm Sunday, and it's the day in Christ's calendar a couple thousand years ago that he had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and crowds surrounded him and were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise to the Lord God in, in the highest. He's given us redemption. He's given us, he's given us hope. But most of that same crowd, by the end of the week, will be shouting and crying, Crucify Him! And that's what we're going to be focusing in on today. Though it's Palm Sunday, we're going to be fast-forwarding uh, to the events that took place in what we refer to as Good Friday. And we're almost to the end of our, our final four, the focus that we've had in this series on the last four major events of Christ's life and ministry, uh, up to and including His resurrection, which we're going to celebrate next week. So today, um, our attention turns to the cross. And last week, we talked about Jesus being in the place of crushing, the Garden of Gethsemane, which literally means the place of crushing. And we talked about His agony, where He cried out to His Father, If there's any way this cup that I'm about to drink can be taken from me, please, please let it happen. But but nevertheless, I surrender to Your will, Father. Not my will, but Your will be done. What an amazing, amazing reality that was that we focused in on. Today, as we look to the cross, we're going to see Jesus actually willingly receiving that crushing. The crushing that he asked if there was any way to have taken from him that would happen, but that crushing that he was willing to accept. And now today, as we we see him, as it were, on the cross, we see him actually being crushed by his own Father in place of us so that we would never have to experience the crushing weight of all the Father's wrath and judgment on our sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ are absolutely inseparable in regard to our salvation. You you can't separate the two. They are uh, the divine dynamic duo. You know, all all through uh, March Madness, the Final Four, and in in the NBA, uh, other sports, there's an emphasis on dynamic duos. You know, this one-two punch that people just can't stand up against no matter what they throw at them, no matter what they have on their side. The one-two punch is what teams look for. And I just want to suggest to you, church, the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Savior That's the divine one-two punch. It's the ultimate one-two punch against sin and death. And sin and death and Satan, they can't do anything about it. They can't do anything against it. The crucifixion and resurrection of our Savior has completely, forever achieved the victory we all need. Nothing else comes close. Nothing else will break the chains that we just sang about. The crucifixion and the resurrection. Absolutely inseparable. But before we get to the emphasis on the resurrection, of course, we want to focus in on and and emphasize and meditate on this awesome act of the Son of God willingly, willingly being crushed in our place for our sake. I want to have your attention drawn with me to John chapter 19. I would encourage you to to look at that with me. John 19, uh, verses 25 
through 30 is what our focus will be on today. John 19, 25 through 30. And verse 25, we read this. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, which is a reference to the author of this narrative, this gospel, John the Apostle. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Isn't it just a, a precious picture there in the midst of all the suffering, in the midst of all the agony, in the midst of all the darkness? Isn't it precious to see the heart of Jesus full of such compassion and tenderness and love that he is, even on the cross, he's thinking of the well-being of his own mother. The tenderness of our Savior is just incredible. It's matchless. It's matchless. There, there is so much warmth and so much perfect love and compassion in Jesus. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And it's what everyone truly at their core wants. Everyone looks for that kind of thing, that kind of just unlimited supply of compassion and love and tenderness and care and, and thought for others. But we're never going to find that supply. We're never going to see that demonstration in anyone else but the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 28 says this, After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I thirst. It's an interesting thing to to hear, isn't it? Interesting thing for Jesus to say, I thirst, I'm thirsty. Well, there's a little bit of a clue there. It says that, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I thirst. And this was prophesied. This had been prophesied centuries earlier that the suffering Savior would cry out, I thirst, I'm parched, I'm thirsty. So even down to that detail, Jesus was fulfilling all the prophecy like He did from the moment He entered our world as a baby born in the manger. He fulfilled more prophecy than any one or any group of people had ever fulfilled up to and including him. Fulfilled all prophecies in the Old Testament about him, down to this detail of saying, I thirst. It's incredible. Incredible. The other thing that is behind this statement is that he would have been physically thirsty. By this point on the cross, he had been, he would have been severely, extremely dehydrated from all of his suffering. Dehydration and suffocation were the contributing factors to death on on the cross, on any cross, through any crucifixion. So he would have been physically thirsty. Remember, though Jesus is fully God, he was also fully man. And church, he will always be fully God and fully man. When he came into our world as a baby, the incarnation was what Jesus would know from that point of the incarnation on through time and into eternity. Before Bethlehem, Jesus was not God and man. He was just God. 
But through Bethlehem taking on to his divinity, humanity, he retains that humanity forever. And he does that for you and me. He did it for you and me. And so at this moment here on the cross, though he is fully God and able to bear the weight of God's judgment, he is also fully man and he's experiencing physically all the torture of the cross. Again, for you, for me. And then I I really believe the last reason for saying I thirst was so that he could physically get what he needed, just a little bit of hydration so that he could proclaim the victory statement coming up. And he wanted to be able to proclaim that with his voice. He wanted just enough strength, enough ability to be able to say this all-important final statement from the cross which is coming up. We're going to look at that in just a second. Verse 29, in response to him saying, I thirst, Scripture says a jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. Hyssop was what the Israelites used to put the blood on the doorpost at Passover. A coincidence? No, of course not. Of course not. This was intentional. This was an intentional moment which shows the complete control and involvement of God in every aspect of what was happening here. Hyssop was what they used to coat the the post of the door so that the destroyer would pass over the Israelites, when he saw the blood on the door, we talked about that as we started this series, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Passover. That he was the, the completion of all that the Passover pictured and pointed to. And so here it's very fitting, don't you think, that on the cross, our Passover lamb, the lamb of God, which takes away all the sin of the world, would have brought up to his mouth by means of a hyssop branch, the very same thing that was used to coat the posts of the door, signifying that one day, one day future, death would ultimately and forever be passed over by all who looked to Jesus. Very fitting. Also, hyssop was used by the Jewish priests. They used it in, in all of their purification ceremonies. And all their, their act of, of priestly duty, the sacrifices, and, and coating things with blood, they always use hyssop. And Jesus, not only is He our Savior, but He is our great high priest. So it's very fitting that our great high priest here, bearing the sin that separated you and me from God, and apart from Him would always separate us from Him, it's very fitting that our great high priest would accept something from the instrument that all the priests always use, this this hyssop, this purifying instrument. It's incredible. It's beautiful, isn't it, that picture? When he had received it from the, the hyssop branch, verse 30 says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, and this is this is so important. This is what everything comes down to. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It 
is finished. What we read in our English language there on this phrase, literally in Greek, it was tetelestai, tetelestai. Tetelestai means paid in full. Another thing it means is sentence complete. It's like, uh, we can identify with this, it's like having a a huge credit card debt that we have, which I think uh, a lot of us can identify with what that's like, how horrible it is to have that hanging over your head, any type of of, of a large amount of debt, you know, credit card debt, student debts, uh, mortgage, whatever you want to think of, we know what it's like to be under that crushing weight of debt, right? And how good it is, how wonderful and freeing and liberating it is to get in the mail or, or get that phone call that says, paid in full, completely settled, all that debt is taken care of. Or for someone who has um, had time in jail or in prison to, to serve that time and to, to, hear, to hear the statement, your sentence has been complete. You're free to go. Um, it's an amazing, liberating, freeing thing to hear that. And that's what, what this, this word was. It's what it signified. Debt completely paid. Sentence completely carried out. And in this culture, in this time, uh, whenever there was someone that had debt, there was a ledger, just like what we would have today. And the ledger would keep track of, of everything owed. And whenever that amount was paid, on that ledger, they would write to Telestai, paid completely in full, no more debt incurred, no more debt owed, completely free. And many times, because of that debt, people were, as you would expect to happen under extreme situations today, they were put in prison until they could pay every single aspect of that debt or until it was paid for them. And and around their neck, they would have a, a plaque that would show their debt. Whenever that debt was paid, they would either be given a new plaque or, or it would be turned around and the same word would be written, to Telestai. Paid in full, sentence complete. And the reason this is such good news for you and for me, the reason this statement is everything for us, is because everyone has more than a lifetime worth of sin debt on the ledger of their life. Everyone has more than a lifetime worth of sin debt on the ledger of their life. You and I were born into sin. You and I, from birth on, incur this incredible amount of of sin debt that we can't pay, and that no one else can pay for us. And that's true of every single human being that has ever lived or ever will live. Born into debt. Born into sin debt. Before a holy, righteous, justice God that has to deal with sin. Here's what Romans 5.12 says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's of course talking about Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Everyone has more than a lifetime worth of sin debt on the ledger of their life. 
Everyone is born into slavery and debt to sin. Everyone. No one is born exempt. Every single human being. No matter how good of a person morally they might be, they're still just as much born into the slavery and debt of sin as anybody else is. Everyone is born into slavery and debt to sin. And, not just are we born into that, everyone chooses it. We're born into sin. We're born into a a debt situation. And we also willingly, personally, constantly choose it. Everyone's born into it. Everyone chooses it. And therefore, as a result of those two things being true, everyone needs the rescue only God can provide. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin, which we all earn, we all deserve payment for, just like you would expect to get fair payment for the, the work you do in your job, you, know, you would expect to get a fair wage for your work, right? You'd expect to get payment for that. Well, the wages of sin, the the payment for sin, which we all do, we're all born into, we all choose it, the fair payment for our wage is death. Not just physical death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from the God we owe. Eternal separation from the God we are in debt to by our sin. Eternal separation from the holy God who cannot look at or be in the presence of sin for one second. Which is why on the cross, our sin bearer, Jesus, said among his other statements, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason was because, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, It's because the Father made Him, the Son, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through Him. The wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation. But, but, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What that means for all of us is that salvation is free to us. Salvation is free to us, but, but it definitely wasn't free. And our salvation is only free to us because it was paid in full by Jesus at the cost of His life. See, this, this is why so many people, maybe you have even struggled with this, this is why so many people have a hard time believing in and accepting in and trusting the freeness of salvation. That, that salvation doesn't depend on anything I do. That there's nothing I could possibly do to achieve salvation. The reason people have so much difficulty accepting that fully and believing in it completely is because we know life just doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, nothing's free, really, in life. We know that. 
That's, that's just not how the real world operates. Even things that are advertised or, or promoted to be free, they're not really free, right? There's, there's always a string attached. There's always something you've got to do down in the fine print, right? And so it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the concept of something so great as salvation being declared righteous before God and right with Him. It's just so hard humanly for us to accept that it's really free. You guys have seen that really annoying insurance commercial, free, 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 free. I forget what company it is, but you know that's their thing. They, everything is free. They're emphasizing that it's free, 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 right? And we, we look at that and we're like, yeah, right. But what, what God is saying at the cross to us is, yes, this is free, really free, 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 free. But the reason He says that, the reason it is that, the reason it can be and is free to us is because it wasn't free to Jesus. And we've got to remember that and we've got to emphasize that. That yes, our salvation has a high, high cost. So high of a cost, in fact, that we could never, ever, ever in all of eternity pay it or pay it back. That's why Jesus came. That's why He came. A cost had to be paid. It wasn't free. Jesus paid that cost. He paid it with His life. That's why it can be free to us. You see, so important to understand this. God didn't sweep our sin under the rug and just look the other way. He didn't do that. God didn't sweep our sin under the rug. No, He nailed it to His Son on the cross. He dealt with sin. He dealt with the debt. But He did it by passing over us. And passing it on to His Son. I love the line from the song Before the Throne of God Above. It's kind of a modern hymn. It's such an amazing song. One of my favorite songs. And my favorite line of the whole song is this. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Christian, if you are in Christ today, you have been pardoned completely. Tetelestai is written over your life. It's a banner over your life for eternity. Not because of anything you did. Not because of anything you paid. Not because of anything you could pay. But because God the just looked on His Son and put all that, that debt on Him and pardoned you because of it. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 convey to us and communicate to us all that, that Tetelestai implies and applies. All that Jesus said there 
In John, in John 19.30, as it was recorded there, when he said it is finished, Colossians 2.13-14 elaborates on that for us and shows us what he really was saying, what was really happening, the transaction that was occurring there on the cross, because it was a transaction. Jesus got all of our sin and all of the judgment of a holy God on that sin. We got all of the favor of the Father on His Son, all of the love that that the Father has for His Son, all of His righteousness, all of His standing before the Father. We got all that. He got our sin. We got His righteousness. We We got acceptance because He got our judgment. Look at what Paul writes in Colossians, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. He says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses, remember, we're born into the sin debt. We're born into that. The wages of sin is death, right? So you who were dead in your trespasses, outside of Christ, apart from Christ, you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This is written to Christians. The the unsaved cannot claim this. The unsaved cannot know what this is like. But Christian, this is true of you. This is your new story. If you're in Christ, this is what has been rewritten about you. He has forgiven us all our trespasses. How? How did He do it? Not by sweeping it under the rug, not by ignoring it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, the law had to be met. The law had to be satisfied. The law had to be fulfilled. If it didn't, then God was not truly just. And if God is not truly just, He cannot be trusted on anything else. He has to be perfectly just and deal with sin and deal with with the law being broken. He has to, while at the same time also being perfectly gracious and perfectly mercy. There is no separating God's divine justice from His divine mercy. He is always 100% of both. So God had to deal with it. He had to satisfy the law's demand on the lawbreaker. And He did it. He canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. How? How did He go about this? Paul tells us. This He set aside, and that set aside, that really means this He completed. This He fulfilled. He answered And he did it by this last statement. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our debt was not ignored. It wasn't just passed on continually. It was acknowledged. It was dealt with by passing it on once and for all to our Savior, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Tetelestai is all about. Paid in full. Sentence complete. And that, my friends, that is completely undeserved. Because we all completely deserve to be judged. Because we're all born into sin. We all willingly choose sin. You know, it's, it's obviously 
um, just said so much now and has been for so long. It's such an, an overused statement. Don't judge me. You hear it all the time, right? Hey, you're judging me. Don't judge me. The thing is, we all, every single one of us, I don't care who you are, deserve nothing but judgment. It's what we deserve. And so for our judgment to be taken from us and put on the Son of God, for all the the sin debt that we owe to be put on Him who didn't owe anything, it's completely undeserved. Totally undeserved. Because we are all like the servant that Jesus told a parable about that owed his king a debt equal to 200,000 years worth of wages. Jesus told that story about the, the king that came to settle his accounts with his servants, and this one servant owed what was the equivalent of 200,000 years worth. I mean, that was a, an impossible amount. He could never pay it. And so he was, thrown, he was going to be thrown into prison until he paid it all, knowing the whole time that would never happen. It was a life sentence. A life sentence. But he, he fell down at the feet of the king. He said, please have mercy on me. Please, I, I, I promise somehow I'll pay back this debt. Just, just have mercy on me. I, please. And, and if, I, if I can't pay it back, please have mercy and, and just take it from me. Please, I'm, I'm begging you. And the king showed mercy. And he forgave the debt. Because obviously there was no way he, he would ever be able to pay it. We know in that parable that he went out Instead of being so motivated by the forgiveness he received and extending that to others, he went out and found his servant who owed him just a, a tiny version of that. It was maybe close to a month's salary that he owed. And the same thing happened. He said, I, I know I haven't been able to pay you, but please I ask for mercy. And instead of showing that servant what he had just received from the king himself, he grabbed him by the throat and he threw him in prison and he said, you're not getting out till you pay me every cent. King found out about it, said, Are you kidding me? How wicked are you? Look at the debt you had before me, which was so far infinitely above what your servant had. I forgave you all that, and you didn't even forgive what your servant owed you? And then he was judged because of his wickedness. We're all like that servant. We're all like the servant that, that had this incredible, lifelong, life, a life amount of debt that there was no chance of repaying. We're all like that. But like that servant, we too have been able to hear from our king, forgiven, forgiven, paid in full, paid in full. That's why Paul could write what he did in Romans chapter 8, in the first few verses. That's why he could say what he did in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Look at that with me. Or just listen if you want. It's, it's up to you. I just want to make sure you get the weight of this, the impact of this, the, the power and magnitude of what is said here. And it's all because of what Jesus said at the cross to Telestai, it is finished. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? How? Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, as the atonement that was needed, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled. Remember, not ignored, not just swept under the rug, met, satisfied. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christian, church, in Christ, God condemned sin, but He provides freedom for the sinner. He condemned sin, but provides freedom for the sinner. That's good news. That's good news. How shocking would it be, unthinkable, if a, a judge passed sentence on a fairly convicted criminal, you know, one who, who deserved it, and that sentence included millions of dollars as a fine and a life sentence in prison. I mean, it was a bad thing they did. And so, I mean, they just said, not only are you going to have a life sentence applied to you, but the fine for what you did is also millions of dollars. In other words, there is no hope for you. There is no hope of avoiding this. You're not getting out. You're going to be in here for the rest of your life by virtue of the time and because of how much money is on your account. There's just no hope for you. So they, he convicted that, that criminal with that sentence only for that same judge to get down from his bench, pay the fine in full, and rule that he was going to serve the complete sentence in place of that criminal who would now be pardoned and freed. I mean, no one would be able to to fathom that, right? Nobody would know what to do with that. I mean, that would make headlines and news for years and years to come. It would be unprecedented, unimaginable, right? That's a tiny, tiny version, uh, just insignificant illustration of what we're talking about here. Because on an infinitely larger scale, that was accomplished and provided for us at the cross. That's exactly what was done for us. We had not just a lifetime worth of sin debt, we had an eternity's worth of sin debt on the ledger of our life, on the ledger of our person, that we had no hope of ever paying. But Jesus, Jesus, our Creator, came to be our Savior, to go to that cross and to have all of our sin debt put on Him and to pay it in full. And that's what He said there as recorded in John 19.30. Because I've done this, because I've willingly received this, now I can say with all of my heart, it is finished. And that's what makes the Gospel the good news that it is. It's total grace. It's real and lasting freedom. Freedom. Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again 
to a yoke of slavery. That yoke of slavery is slavery to sin, and it's also slavery to legalism, trying to keep the law, which no one can do, which unfortunately, so many times we try to do. We, we try to go back to the law. I know I've been freed by the blood of Christ, but then we, we try to grab onto this law and bring it down over our heads again. We try to make God like us. We try to, to be sure of God's approval by being good enough, by doing this and doing that the right way and, and making sure that we don't ever do those things over there. And, and if we fail, which we will fail, then it's like, oh no, God doesn't like me anymore. And when we do that, we are forgetting, no, all of my standing before God, all of His favor on my life is tied eternally to Christ. And it's tied to what He did for me on the cross. Paid in full means paid in full. Sentence complete really means sentence complete. So I don't honor God and obey God and and live and pursue holiness and righteousness to get God to love me. I obey God and I live for God and I serve Him and I choose and pursue righteousness because He loves me. Because I've already got on my life that statement. Tetelestai, paid in full, sentence complete. And so all that I do for God, all that I, I live out in my Christian life is in response to what has been made true of me and for me at the cross. We've got to get that order right. We've got to get that order right. You see, the gospel, the gospel frees us from sin and the law so that we can live for God, not ourselves. That's what the gospel does. And that's how we really thank him. That's how we really thank him for all that he's done for us. Christ's work on the cross all comes down to this one final phrase. It is finished. To tell us die. All comes down to that. But what happened on Friday, this good, good Friday, wouldn't matter much if it wasn't for Sunday. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about next week as we celebrate not just what Christ did for us at the cross, but what Christ made true of us by His resurrection. Let's pray. Father, it, it's ironic to look at Good Friday coming up for us this, at the end of this week and call it good when we know what took place on the cross with your Son. It certainly was not good for Him, but because of what He endured and because of what He experienced, it was certainly good for us, an eternal good for us. Father, thank You for the cross of Your Son. But as we talked about at the beginning of this message, the cross and the empty tomb are inseparable. And Father, help us to be prepared for next week as we celebrate and to to get the reality that without the resurrection of Jesus, without the empty tomb, all that took place on the cross, all this amazing, wonderful grace that we just talked about today, it really wouldn't matter it really wouldn't have full effect if the resurrection didn't happen. So, Father, thank You for the cross.
But please prepare our hearts all this week to look ahead to the awesome reality of the resurrection, knowing that it is what showed everything that happened on the cross on Friday was accepted fully and forever by you. Thank you for the work of your Son, and it's in His name we pray. Amen.